RDT Systems, baby. Dog tested and dog tough. We've got those soft mouth dummies. Now listen, everybody knows that we need more bumpers. I'm not talking about one or two or three. I'm talking about adding bumpers to your repertoire. I like using white or black and white bumpers when I'm training my dogs for marks and even blinds. You can get the orange ones. I dig it. But add a bunch to your repertoire. And I'm again, I'm not talking about three to six. If you're working on T pattern, if you're working on blinds and pattern blinds, you need a bunch, a dozen, 18. The Soft Mouth Dummies by DT can't be beat. Check them out, LoneDuckOutfitters.com. DT Difference. Let's go. Hashtag man's best kennel, baby. That's Gunner Kennels. Man, let's talk about these crates because when shh, it hits the fan, you want your dog protected. It's an investment emotionally and financially to keep your hunting buddy safe. If you'd like to get into a Gunner Kennel, slide into the DMs and we'll hook you up. But do your best friend a favor and keep them safe this duck season. Have you wondered if you want to force fetch your dog? Maybe you think your dog's too soft. Maybe you're too nervous to screw, quote unquote, screw your dog up. Let me help you. I built a start to finish course with different dogs, different breeds, and different personalities from start to finish to show you how that you and your dog can do it successfully and easy. Jump in. Links in the description. We'd be happy to help you. Let's go. Let's set goals and get you and your dog where you want to be this duck season. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to a rousing episode of Lone Ducks Gundog Chronicles. Welcome to the show. We're glad you're here. We got a good one up ahead. We've got Ethan Pippett from Standing Stones Kennels. He's back on the hook with us. He's here back in central New York. He had bought a puppy from us from the Sam and Ryder litter. So we're going to talk a little bit about how his puppy's doing. And he also brought a friend along. His name is Peter Armstrong, DVM no big deal. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about veterinarian stuff, getting dogs ready for hunting season and preparation for that. But first let's get into the sponsors, which I'd like to invite Ethan to talk about. Hey, you Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, I'm happy to be back here, but as far as the Yukonuba stuff goes, I mean, those new formulas are fantastic and just in time for hunting season. I've uh, been really, really happy with how our dogs have performed, especially during the guide season. Run them a lot, and it's really nice to be able to keep good weight on dogs. How many miles a day on average do your dogs run, you think? Well, we've run GPS before, and it's typically in the vicinity of like 15 to 20. Just a cool marathon. You 15 know to I mean? 20 minutes. That's awesome. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> Did yeah. you ask me minutes or miles? I'm, no, I meant miles. Okay. So 15 to 20 miles. Yeah, yeah, buddy miles that these dogs are putting on and we got to keep weight on them and get, you know, which is a hard deal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So dogs are about to come into a lot of workload. You know, they're coming off a training season and going right into hunting season and we've got to keep that athlete running. And so we choose Yukonuba next up Gunner Kennels, man's best kennel, safest one on the market, hands down. We stand by them. They're great people, and if you'd like to learn more and maybe get yourself into one, shoot us that direct message on at Lone Duck. Don't be afraid. Next up, smoke them if you got them, baby. We're loving these Traeger grills. I got one. You got one? Yeah, buddy. All right, dude, do another one. Go ahead. No, I've got a Traeger grill. That's all I can say. What was the last thing you cooked on a Traeger? I cooked. I've got one. I cooked a brisket last week. You cooked a brisket? Yeah. I cooked my smoked awesome. halibut. Ooh, okay. We definitely got to talk about the trip to Alaska, but guy comes in hot from Texas cooking brisket. Yeah. My man. You got a Traeger too? Yeah. <laughs> smoke right. them if you Love got them. It. That's four for four people sitting in one room on a podcast who like to smoke meat. Get it. Awkward. <laughs> All right. Next up, Dogtra e-collars. Everybody asks, I bet at least once a day, somebody asked me my recommendation for them for an e-collar. And for me, if they are a one or a two dog family, the 1900S or it would be the 1902S is the unit that most people's needs are fit. It's got all different levels, stimulation, continuous nick, all that jazz. You can fine tune the level to the dog's personality to get the most out of the dog. 
least amount of pressure to get the desired response, but you can scale it up, scale it back down real easily. It's compact remote. So stick it in your waders, stick it in your hunting vest when you're out upland hunting, whatever. Great unit. But also the the really neat thing that it, it did is it passed this durability test. It's got some numbers and some letters on it. It's really fancy. It's on the box. I don't remember what it's called, but all you need to know is it's like a monsoon pressure jet water hitting these remotes and collars to make sure that they're waterproof and durable and they hold up. So check out the 1900 or 1902S. You can check them out on LoneDuckOutfitters.com. As well, when you're there, hey, if you bought a hat, thank you. Bought a t-shirt, I did thank you again. All these things, you know, support us, support you. Come on. Next up, Kent Ammunition. (laughs) Kevin's giving me the pulling the trigger to help me remember who our sponsors are. Kent Ammunition, baby. We be shooting that bismuth. All right, Ethan, you you like Kent as well. Heck Come on. yeah, we've been shooting Kent for a few <laughs> this years. This is great. This is great. You're <laughs> yeah. doing my job for me, man. The, it's uh, it's really good stuff. I mean, they've got a a quality selection of quality ammo, and it's a game changer for me because I'm not the world's greatest shot. I like a little extra punch when it comes to waterfowl stuff. I like to kill them, and uh, Bismuth does it, buddy. Love it. Have you tried their tungsten yet? I got a couple cases for a goose hunt this year. Um, I don't get to goose hunt a ton, but I like to shoot my 20 gauge at everything. So we're going to go shoot some big geese with 20 gauge and I'm going to shoot their tungsten loads. It's a three inch shell with number threes tungsten. Nice. Very good. Very good. Lastly, Waypoint Outdoor Collective. They're the company that helps us stay connected with you, with the analytics. Let us know that we're still in the top 30 in Canada. Thank you, Canada. Oh, Canada. It's a nice attempt. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But anyways, check them out. They've got other podcasts and, and folks that you can tune into on Waypoint Outdoor Collective on Instagram. All right, guys, let's get into this show. Welcome to New York, where the players play. And we ride on. Had his first apple today. I did. That <laughs> well, rhymed. not my first apple, but okay. But I had first to rhyme. Apple Come on now, apple tree. <laughs> so, so Peter has never seen an apple tree in real life. In real life, I'm sure you've seen one in a book or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Johnny Appleseed. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, I have an apple tree in my my yard that has some pretty delicious red apples, and there's a, a ladder that's in the tree. And uh, we're airing dogs tonight, and Peter climbs up the tree, <laughs> snags himself an apple. And he starts gnawing away. What did you, did you think of the lone apple tree? It was lone, dusty. Lone D tree. It was dusty at first, uh, but past that, it was delicious. Yeah, there's no, this is all natural, all natural, organic, man. We don't have any pesticides. Fresh from the earth. Yeah. Yeah. You no. know what they say, though, about apples? One it's only day. one thing worse than finding half an apple in a worm. <laughs> you mean half a worm in an apple? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I messed it up. Yeah, That's all right. Up. I loved it. That was really good. <laughs> Something about apples and worms. Don't eat worms with apples. Or apples with worms. Yeah. Don't right. eat the worms out of the apples. <laughs> There's a lot of other things we can say about worms, but we'll move on from there, guys. Uh, all right. Let's jump in. Let's take a, let's take a deep breath. We're, we're having a lot of fun here. Why did you fly here? Fair I question. like flights. That's a good one. All right, Peter. Peter. Uh, came to look at a finished dog, um, just to kind of evaluate that and see what these guys had to offer. Yeah, there you go. So give a brief background. Once in a great while, we have started dogs for sale, finished dogs for sale. And Ethan, had, when he bought Clutch, got to come and see a couple of our dogs run. And we have one that is available to the right home. And Peter might be that. So today, we actually did a, a film that'll be on our YouTube channel, Selfish Plug, Lone Duck Outfitters, I think, on YouTube. Maybe it's just Lone Duck now. I don't it's know. It. We're tweaking yeah, things. Lone Duck. We're building our YouTube. Proud of you. Thank you. And it's going to be me helping Peter run finished dogs. He's, you know, I'm teaching him. I'm downloading information to him. I'm tweaking his body position, explaining why, corrections and why, all sorts of bringing things home so that when... He, if he decides to pull the trigger on a finished dog from the lone D, he can handle it and understand what the dog knows, what the dog's capabilities are, and then learn how to work with that dog. And so we let him play with some of the dogs. He, he ran Mama Cruz. 
What'd you think of Mama Cruz? Really nice. She's a good little dog. I love her. She's a sweetheart. Yeah. Really uh, forgivable. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. And and it's crazy, right? Because I've, I mean, I've have a short hair and I've, you know, run several dogs and, you know, everything's a little bit different in every discipline. And so I think that's kind of a big thing is like what's specific to that dog. And then especially at the super finish level, like, like Cruz is, uh, you know, of being able to handle just, you know, very small adjustments that just make big differences. I think that was kind of a lot for me to learn, right. Even in a, in a body language expression with that dog is a big deal. That was really cool. That was really cool. Now you are a dog man. I, I was going to say, before we get too, too far into this one, can we have Peter give a little background on himself? We've we've gone through Ethan. He's old news now, but yeah, Peter, tell, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Other than being a, we mentioned that you're a veterinarian, but sure, like, give yeah. us a little rundown. Yeah, so grew up in South Arkansas. Um, lived in Louisiana for about ten years. Uh, went to school at LSU. Go Tigers. Uh, practiced <laughs> in Northeast Louisiana for about a year, year and a half. And you didn't even try it right. Go <laughs> Tigers. I know that was terrible. G e a u x. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Uh, uh, practiced there for a year and a half and then bought a practice in North Central Texas, about an hour outside of Fort Worth. And so been there a little over six years and uh, enjoy it there and do kind of a mix of everything. Uh, goose hunt, duck hunt and upland hunt. So That's awesome, man. I got a good buddy who's a dentist down there. Yeah. If you ever need some uh, little oral. Oh, perfect. Let me know. Good guy. <laughs> uh, I'll tell him you said that. Yeah. Uh, That's awesome. <laughs> So, so you came out to check out some Finnish dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you well, hold on? Slow down. Your other Finnish dog that you oh, guys are Ethan. Ethan. Yep. So, mm-hmm. there, so it would be Ethan's was out of their breeding program shooter. He lives with me and we rock and roll most of the time and duck hunt quite a bit. And that boy is the man. He is the man. So how old shooter? Eight, eight, eight. this year. Yeah. Yep. So he guided with, well, he's with you for at least five, I guess. And, and came and moved into my couch, and that's where he stays. So mm-hmm. good for you. We're yeah. getting ready to celebrate year number eight in South Dakota. That boy's eating an ice cream cone with me and Dairy Queen every year in his life in winter South Dakota. That's pretty cool. Uh, he kind of gets a couple of licks, and I eat the rest of the ice cream cone. But. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, he's he's a really nice dog. But wanting to add to and, and like I said, he picks up a lot of ducks. I mean, we um, he's done geese in the field, and he's done a little bit of everything. But just wanting to get to that change of a really finished Labrador where there's some hand signals involved versus, you know, the NAVDA type dogs that, that Ethan trains, that, you know, with the duck search capabilities, really kind of hard to overlap a lot. So I'm going to digress real quick, neat little segue, and then we can jump in because I want to talk about your cattle, sure. yep. cattle dog too. Oh yeah. Cause that's pretty cool. At, we've talked about this in the past. We've talked about it on other episodes with a NAVDA utility pointing dog duck search. And the duck search to give everybody a 30 second breakdown is me and Kevin are, are hunting a pond. I kill a bird. We all know the story. It's dead. Kevin wing clips it. It sails off into the ding weeds and neither the, the duck or us have any idea where it went. It just sailed off. We can't even give a direction to the dog. So you can't run a blind. I can't blow a whistle and cast this dog anywhere because I didn't see where it went. Kevin, did you? Nope. Okay, we have Never no knew. idea. Kevin, did you even shoot? I shot, uh, took it to the plug, and um, <laughs> it was just rough. I got you. Took it to the plug. Good one. Uh, so we don't know where it landed. All we know is it went down somewhere over there, just sort of. And so a duck search would be where I released the dog into a duck search, and they have to be completely independent from me. Don't look at me. I'm not sending you anywhere. Just go and hunt this entire pond until you find that duck. And if you get a good dog, they will, you know, a good utility prize one dog will leave your side and hunt. Independently. Independently, methodically, intelligently, and find you a duck where you don't know where it is. On the contrary, a blind running dog like what I have would be. Kevin shoots one in the ding weeds and it's swimming off and I see that it tucks up in over here and I can send the dog on a blind and handle them to the area of the fall and have them find the duck. For this instance, and something that Peter's going to maybe have to get used to is that dog is not going to be as independent. That dog is going to look to you to get have you guide it. 
and you have to get it downwind and you got to cast it into the wind. If you don't really know where the duck is, but you know, you last saw it over there, it's a different ball game where on a blind retrieve, it's a team sport. I'm the captain. I'm the coach. I'm the leader. I'm telling you where to go. Turn off your instinct and listen to me because I'll get you there. Where in duck search, we don't know where that sucker landed or where it went. So you've got to say, hey, buddy, good luck. Go. And they've got to go find it. Yeah. And I think the the struggle that runs into that or that I run into, right, is that's really, I mean, shooter, shooter is that. He is every bit of that. I mean, the dog has found hundreds of birds that way. Um, with no direction for me, just send him out and he'll go out and find the bird. And so for me, that's, you know, I, I will independently, I mean, I'll hunt both of these dogs, two blinds beside each other and just hunt them steady. And, you know, this looks like your bird. This looks like your kind of bird. You know what I mean? And so yeah, that's awesome. um, I can be able to go, you know, and if Ethan comes shoot, he'll cripple them. And so I can send for the dead bird that I've dropped in the cattails. I can send shooter, and then it's for the finish deep. for the finished lab, I can send out into the open can water. Borrow that pair of boots and, over there. And, that's right. And chase it, you know, out into the open water over there. So I think that's, you know, I think both of those things still have a place. And and like I say, shooter definitely does that to a T. I mean, he's hundreds of ducks that way. He's picked up for me. Yeah. So I know Kevin and I lost a duck last year or two years ago we had birdie in memphis with us and it Ugh. was one of those birds that comes flying in you hit it it sails way behind you yeah. and it's in a beaver pond with all those little clumps of crap and we didn't see where it landed it's way off and there's it took me about 10 minutes to get over to where i thought it was going to be to send the dog in yeah, it was have just like nasty. a hunted up thing and it just blew both dogs minds it probably dove down and grabbed onto vegetation we have no idea what happened to this duck, but we lost it. Where I actually think that duck search, we could have sent a, a dog been in faster. There. I tell you, I tell you, shooters really, and I remember this probably the third month I had him, I was doing some, just some bumper drills with him. And, you know, he lost the mark on it, maybe 40, 50 yards, wasn't very far. And immediately you could just see him move 20 yards downwind and start making circles. I mean, that's, and he just would make that just like he was hunting cover, you know, and that's what it's the different. It's definitely a different deal. So yeah, and I also think that there are Labradors who hunt a ton that do that. learn that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, a hundred percent. So I'm using a hunt test competitor mm -hmm. who hasn't hunted a lot and needs my direction, and I want them to need my direction for these blinds so that yep. they stay true to their line and all the stuff and don't go into hunt mode. Yeah, go into you listen Uncle Bob mode, but. There is a fine line and a balancing act between a great competitor that'll hold their line and do what I tell them and a dog that can turn it on and off. It, yeah. I think there's like a little bit of blue collar work ethic in there where they just, it's out here somewhere and I'm going to use my nose and I'm going to hunt. Yeah. And with the dogs with experience like that, rather than ones that rely on your eyes and your guidance, it's just interesting. Yeah. And I think that's something that they only learn during hunting. Yeah. yeah. I can't really teach it. It's hard. They have to hunt. Yeah, well, that's why we shackle ducks and things like that. And and it's, you know, you're kind of doing it in a vacuum almost, right? Like you're, you're conjuring the situation, but when dogs have been out there and had hundreds of duck searches, just knows what to do. Yeah. What if I tied the lab to the short hair? <laughs> <laughs> Would that work? Drag that dog behind him. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know. I think it's going to be an interesting combination to hunt yeah. both of them together. I think it'll be an interesting combination for you to rely on a dog that relies on you. Yeah. It, it'll be neat. I think if you decide to pull the trigger on it, it'll work out really, really well. Anyways, tell us about your cattle dog. I want to learn more about this this animal, this beast of burden. It's pretty cool. Um, Rambo. Rambo. Ah, <laughs> John nice. Rambo in the flesh, in a, the canine flesh. He's a cool dude. Yeah, he's a hanging tree dog, um, and so those are going to be mostly a for for those of you that didn't catch that. That's actually like uh, a breed, a breed. Yeah, yeah. hanging tree dog um, is a mostly border collie, a little bit of kelpie, a little bit of catahoula, or a little bit of cur. I'm not sure if it's catahoula, um, and then a little bit of um, uh, I think there's one Australian shepherd in the original breeding of that, but just a pretty gritty 35, 40 pound dog that'll take on a county day of the week so what do, what do they look like uh border collie-ish most of them there's okay. definitely some variation in them but yeah most of them are border collie size dog kind of same coat he's red with a little bit of white on him so do they uh, kind of like a border collie do they have like tight coats and long coats 
Yeah, and there's you know because there's some cur in there, and there's some Australian Shepherd, there's some merles, and there's some you know other different colors that show up. But you know they they have to show the ability, the registration. They have to show the ability to bite both the head, and or it's like dictated on the papers, head or or on the feet. You know, so there's a lot of that plays into kind of what somebody's looking to do with the cattle. So, uh, so you're literally talking to a guy who has no idea what you're talking about. Perfect. Paint, paint, paint the picture. Okay. For everybody listening, what's going on when you let them out? Are you out in the, how do you work this dog? Yeah. yeah so the field are you in the so he's yard? a primarily fetching dog. Um, so his primary goal, his primary command is get back. And so that command means to go and fetch the cattle to me. One single command, fetch the cattle to me. And, and a good set of cattle that are dog broke that have been exposed and cattle, just like anything need to be broke. Cattle need to be broke to the dog so they respond the way that they're supposed to because their first intention is to turn around and to fight the, the dog, right? Just like it'd be a coyote or something. And so okay. once, once they learn that, then there's a um, their desire to, or they can be pushed off. And so a really good dog or set of dogs on even a large set of cattle will push the, will, will push those cattle to me. Uh, oftentimes never actually even seeing the dog. They should work those cattle kind of in a U shape and bring those cattle to me. And so whether I'm horseback, whether I'm on an ATV, pickup truck, whatever it may be, they should go fetch those cattle and, and I should be able to drive them to town if I want to. So do you have cattle? Yes. Yep. How do you have time in your day to go hunting it's with my, several dogs? It's my hobby. I said DVM ish. 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 <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to be way more ish than I used to be. So I'm kidding. Yeah. Sweet. So so all right. He's not. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> Heavy on the ish. So, on the so ish. I'm really we send go back and this mm-hmm. dog leaves you, sees cattle off. How far? Uh, um, couple he, hundred he yards, probably, 300 yards. He probably yeah, he'd be pretty easy to cast him three to five hundred yards. With, with no problem. Well, that's the, so we actually went down and we shot a little video showing Rambo doing some stuff. So we've got a little YouTube channel, Standing Stone Kennels. Um, nice plug. Yeah, buddy. And you can actually watch Rambo work there. So if you're interested in seeing it firsthand, you can see what Rambo looks like. And then he, in that, there was one section where he's like, get back. And then he kind of checked up because the cows were all spread out or young steers or whatever they were in that situation. Yep. And they're all cows to me. He kind of checked up because there were a couple stragglers, and then you know he got another get back, and he looks, and he can see and there's one straggle way back there, like another hundred yards or so. He went and picked that one up, brought him all the way up past us. So, and so he's biting ankles, and you said biting the head. Yeah, like, most of do- most of it's just moving off pressure. But yeah, I mean, like a lot of times, special pressure. Yeah, special pressure. So yeah, they're just. I mean, the dog, the presence of the dog, right? So in the cattle that are broke, right? So a lot of times they they're very inquisitive. And they'll just kind of nose up to the dog. You know, I'll just down him. So I'll just say down. And he's staying there until he's told to do something else. And he'll just kind of reach up and, you know, they'll kind of nose. And he'll just kind of nip on their nose or ear or whatever you pick it. And then he'll a lot of times he'll hang on and go for a ride with them too. So, I mean, no it's, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. So he's just, it, it, uh, their level of intensity is not even anything matched by any dog. Even any dog you pulled out of the trailer today. I mean, their intensity is just yeah. over the top. Um, that's all he wants to do is work and push cows. Um, he would do it 10 hours a day, but seven at the, days a week. the same time you say load up and he jumps in the back of the yep. mule and just sits there, yep. you know, we'll it's a, there and we'll sit there for two hours. There's are super smart, super, super it's a cool combination. Yep. That's not for everybody. No. no, no, don't get one for a pet. No, he is not a pet. He's going to herd your kids around the backyard. Yep. So, and there's people that have them in pet. That's, you know, just kind of like anything, but. But overall, they're a working dog. I mean, their job is to go to work every day. And I do. Like, so if I'm feeding cattle, I feed cattle most mornings and, or here lately have. And, you know, we'll just load up. I just load them up in the back and calves aren't coming up close enough to feed or quick enough to feed in the 40-acre pasture. We'll just send him out and he brings them on a little faster. So. That's super cool. Yeah, it's fun. That's super cool. It reminds me of Babe the Pig. Yeah. Yeah. Herding the sheep. <laughs> Do you have other commands? What other commands does he know? Um, so get back would be the single command, but yeah, pretty much anything. So away and come by, direct him in a circular motion around the cattle. Those two would be the opposite of each other. You know, out can send him, you know, I can pretty much use an out to send him until I tell him to stop. Just run until you can't hear my voice anymore and I tell you stop. 
He's collar down is probably one of the most down. important ones. Yeah, he's collar conditioned. He'll walk. I can get him to walk up. You know, we'll push on the cattle. So bite a little harder, be a little more aggressive. They also rate. Um, which you is, say watcher. Watcher, yeah, that'll usually get them to bite pretty well. So they, they rate, and so they they know what their effect is on the cattle. And so he's really good at rating. Some dogs are not all that good at rating. And so oftentimes he will, you know, he'll get up there and he'll start pushing on the cattle and they'll start moving the way he wants and he'll just automatically down himself. Right. And so knowing that he's doing a good job, he's doing enough he's pressure and, and he should not be running them. He it's was trained kind of like a bird dog. I was going to yeah. say, it's yeah. almost like the, when they know There's not a, to creep in. And, uh-huh. Yeah. He was trained by a really good guy out of Louisiana who's just really meticulous with them. Um, and just, you know, his, I think his knowledge of, of just putting that pressure on for the dog's knowledge what that pressure is. We talked about this a little bit today, but just self-corrects. I mean, you can just uh, a little quick, ah, 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 and he just realizes that he made the wrong turn and he'll just go back the other direction. I mean, it's well with the, on that, that little ah, ah, ah thing. I mean, it was, you mentioned a lot with your hand signals and this segueing a little bit, but it's, it's very related because you were talking about, you throw a hard, you know, left, back or right back or over whatever it is if you're moving quick they take that as a oh i need to get out of here or whatever and you can see when i've watched you work rambo it changes then, drastically the inflection of my tone yeah, is if you say huge. back get back and then if he doesn't quite do it you say get back and he's like gone i mean that much of a difference in just yeah a little growly means a lot to him and and kind of very similar today right you know where we kind of talked about just going over some stuff relax, calm down. For me as a handler, learning that, right. And just saying, okay, deep breath through this. And now there's a ton of comfort, right? I mean, I can whisper to him with a pickup truck running and it's he, insane. And he hears me and we can commute, I can communicate to him. Whereas in, you know, in the past I may be yelling back, you know, get, you know, and he's looking at me like I'm freaking crazy because there's one calf over there, you know? And so right. it's just, it's there. What did I do wrong? Yeah. You didn't do anything wrong. I just, <laughs> yep. Get out of here. Go. Yeah. Yeah. So it's cool. Yeah, it is super cool. Whole new world. I was just going to say it's a whole, any, any dog for me as, as a dog guy, any dog that has a job and is good and proficient Mm -hmm. and maybe you're watching light bulbs go off in that puppy's brain and, and they're learning that job and things are clicking and all of a sudden it's like, holy cow, you're starting to look like a duck dog or holy cow, you're starting to look like a cattle dog. Like, boy, did you see him bring that one in? And, and you know, that it spun around on him. He was fearless. Like there's gotta be moments where you're like, you see true grit. Yeah. This, this week's a really actually good example of that he's normally a fetching dog. That's traditionally what he was used for. He's four. I got him I don't know, a little over a year ago. Um, but the, what I've started using for a lot more is pushing him with like with my truck, right. Or with my ATV or a horseback and just pushing the cattle to some destination. And so that's kind of a big switch because for him, he's used to not having the cattle should be, be between him and I. And now he's coming to my side where there's a lot more correction and a lot more visualization there. And so he's doing a better job. You can really see where he's like, Oh, this is the position I'm supposed to be when you're in a vehicle and the fence is here. This is immediately where I should go to. You shouldn't even ask me, you know, and he's just figuring that out. Yeah. It's super cool, cool, man. Watching a good finish level dog at anything bite work, Drug work, pointing work. Coon dog. Coon dog, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's super neat. Rabbit dogs. I mean, any All dog that's got a purpose. Especially if you watch it work with me, because I'm like a three out of ten on a handler any day of the week. <laughs> it's kind of like my five out of eight as a veterinarian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, we were talking at dinner about how I'm like a five out of eight. I'm almost there. <laughs> I got to take like two more courses. I'm only seven out of eight, so you're doing great. <laughs> and I've got a license. So in a couple states, you know, you're fine. That's great. That's great. All right. So tell, let's, let's dabble in for a second. Your, your idea of being a vet, how did, where did your love of animals and what is your specialty as a vet? Oh, um, I don't know. Kind of always thought I was going to be a vet as most vet students. It usually takes a couple of times to get in. And so that I almost, I didn't get in the first year. And so almost said, you know what, just going to abandon be a this, dog trainer be it something <laughs> i don't know electrician or something i was working for an electrician at times like i'll just go do this this sounds better and getting defeated again so i uh but applied again and got into lsu and and did that um really had a large interest in doing cattle work um and so that's kind of is the area that i've kind of immersed myself in the most um and a lot of that 
I do a lot of cattle stuff. It's kind of some of the things I was trying to just say, tell clients, hey, this is what you should do, and kind of felt that I needed some real-world application. Uh, I'm sure this looks good either from other people telling me or, you know, on paper or whatever, but what's this look like vaccination programs and cattle are really susceptible to respiratory diseases. And so um, that was kind of where a lot of that push was. And I said, well, this actually is working pretty well and I'm making decent enough money doing this. Let's just continue to do it. And so that's kind of where we've grown that into a kind of what we'd call a backgrounding operation where we're just straightening out cattle um, straight off moms, straightening out cattle and then selling them usually going either to grass or to feed yard. Very good. So do you dabble in the dog? I do. Yeah. Probably my, my practice is probably 70% small animal. Um, so probably my personal interest is definitely in large animal or in cattle, but small animal is going to be um, what most of our practice are is we've actually kind of attracted, um, do quite a bit of breeding repro work. We've kind of attracted this weird following of um, some re- repro people kind of in about a two hour radius of where we are there in Texas. And so do a lot, a lot of C-sections. A lot of C-sections, a lot of repro work, a lot of surgical AIs, a lot of just different stuff like that. And so that's kind of, and it's kind of ties into me because, you know, with cattle, there's a lot of reproductive work done. And so that's probably where a lot of my interest kind of spills over into it. It's almost, but it's very specific and very timed and I kind of like it a lot. So You like having your arm all the way up a cow? Yeah, everybody always asks me that, but every time I do it, I get paid. So it don't really matter to me, you know what I mean? So <laughs> it's, just, it's just dollar bills, so... It's just one shoulder deep. Yeah. 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 Just poop, poop in the armpit. There you go. It's not weird out. at all. Speaking of that reproductive work, I actually was talking with uh, the guy that we use on a regular basis. Sorry, it's not you, Peter. We, but, we live uh, in Kansas. It's fine. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a bit of a jaunt of a drive down just for a, a yeah, quick. I understand. I'm not that good. I get Progesterone it. test. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I mean, maybe you can, you can expand on this a little bit, but they were actually talking about essentially embryo transfer into dogs. Have you heard of doing that? So fertilization in Petri dish and in planting into dogs to have healthy moms to give birth. I've not. Interesting. I mean, I'm not surprised. So like IVF would be probably yeah, essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. essentially so, IVF for dogs. Yeah. Not surprised. You want to do some? <laughs> I don't have any reason to right now, but uh, they're harvesting eggs, and it's kind of a weird deal. I mean, it's hard with dogs. IVF meaning in in, in vitro. vitro fertilization. Yep, vitro fertilization. See, pretty, pretty I'm now up to a six sixth eighth. eighth. But I think that we just call that three quarter. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty freaking good. Three quarters of a vet right yeah. here. Yeah. That would have made the fridge Robert, at our house. That's right. That would have made the fridge. <laughs> I was always a three quarter student. Might as well be a three quarter vet. Yeah, I like Boom. it. I like it. Congratulations, mom and dad. Your son's a three quarter vet. Do you think uh, your mom and dad listen to every one of these? No. No. Okay. Hard no. Hard no. 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 Hey, but every hey once mom, in a while, if you're listening. Yeah, that's right. Ethan says hi. Every once in a while, dad will be like, you know, uh, you, you made a joke about boss uh, four, <laughs> four months ago. Uh, made a joke about his dog. Yeah. It's not funny. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. All right, dad. Yep. So, all right. So, uh, I'm pretty interested in a little bit of repo stuff. Is it repo or repro? Hang on. Repo is what they're doing to your car right now. Yeah. Repro. (laughs) My tracker, really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, (laughs) Repro is the reproductive. Okay. Congratulations on that. You just went down. Back down. down. (laughs) All right. So we, uh, there's a lot of, I've got some ideas. Cool. I want to throw out there. Okay. So I feel like this is, this is backyard bro science. I feel like we as an industry, the dog industry, yep. have been doing a lot of artificial insemination. Yep. And then some of the puppies that are coming out are having a hard time getting bred naturally. I And then all, all of a sudden we have to do an artificial insemination. And now three, four generations into this. They all have to be. They all have to be. 100%. Well, bad motherhood bred is an inherent behavior i mean it's no no two ways around because you're not selecting for it right if you had to ai well, let's say you ai one generation right and the next dog well she doesn't take and she doesn't take and we ai for that but she takes on that method so now we've selected for that trait right talk mm-hmm. about that tell people i mean i know what you're talking about ethan knows what you're talking about kevin probably no just kidding is kevin still here he is oh cool. but but uh i'm teasing but 
some people might not know what we're talking about. So really talk about gotcha. what, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think what you're asking, right, is anytime we're selecting for any trait, right? Um, and genetics, there's a, that's a big conversation, but. Everything uh, is genetic. Yes. Everything is but genetic. But I think as you start to say, well, let's choose for, you know, traits. And so let's say a dog comes in and, you know, we, she's been tried to breed twice and she doesn't breed. And so, okay, well, this time we're going to go into a, let's even go further. Let's do a surgical AI, right? Where we don't try to pass it. She may not have a great. Or if she doesn't come into heat. Yeah. Or Let's we, see if there's a way we can medically induce that. For sure. And, and it's doable, right? But as we do that, so then we select these females. Um, so then we said, well, this female produced a really nice female. This was the breeding we're looking for in the field. This dog is everything we're looking for. Um, and then we turn around and then now we breed that dog again under the same conditions. And we go, well, I've kept this daughter. I know last time we had all this trouble. This was cheaper, easier. I got a litter quicker. Right, because that's always the the goal is to shorten that interval between the next generation, right? So, you, as you improve genetics, that's what we're trying to do by every breeding. We're trying to shorten that period of time by the time we have the next one. So, if I have a female who's born today, you know, it's three years before I say, man, she's a really good dog. She's gone on to be everything I wanted to be. Let's breed her now. She's three and a half. Well, now we're three years again, so we're talking about a six-year interval before we have a good breeding on a female. Or, or, you know, to see another generation out of that female. And so if we can increase that and say, okay, we're not going to go through that process. I went through two missed heat cycles and all that crap to get to where we are. And so I think that just becomes easy and it's modern medicine has made that super easy. I mean, I can do that on just about any dog you want to. And not even from a let's make more puppy standpoint, but let's improve the genetics and work off what we have here. And we want to do that so that we can see that advance and grow and not let's see if we can pop some more puppies out. here. Yeah. I don't think it's out of a numbers game, but then you turn around and you have just like, I would not, I mean, what would be a trait in retrievers that you would not select for that you'd be, yeah, that you would kick a female out for a breeding program. Aggression. Okay. So aggression, just like that. You would kick a female out for that, but we didn't kick her out because she didn't breed. Right. Probably should have kicked her out for that reason too. Really? Okay. I guess you answered my question in terms of like, this is a real thing where if we have to AI females. Well, there's different reasons we AI, right? Sure. That's what I was going to say. So so you have a dog in California that you want to AI to, you know, he's awesome. The only way we're going to get to breed to to that dog 2,500 miles away is to send either frozen fly out there, which is stress on the female mm -hmm, or do fresh frozen semen or fresh chilled semen. And that's, that's a super good way to do that. And if you're going to do that, I'm going to get semen that's going to be shipped into me. It's only going to be good for maybe two days max. And so after that, we've got to do, after that, we've got to do something different. So a lot of times we'll time that on a surgical. And so we'll go in and we'll breed at the specific point. And, you know, a lot of times those surgicals will get me six, just one breeding will get me six to 10 puppies because we're hitting that progesterone in the exact spot that we want to. Well, okay. So tell, tell people that. What are we hitting for progesterone? How do you hit progesterone right? Um, so progesterone is kind of just a telltale hormone. It's not really has anything to do with a lot of what we're looking at, but it usually correlates to luteinizing hormone um, and allows us to be able to say, this is when the dog's most likely to be ovulating the largest number of eggs dogs kind of kind of they drop eggs over a period of time it's not just like um, a cow or a human where we ovulate one egg and then go on and you got to breed it in that interval dogs over typically two to three days will ovulate several eggs the eggs are good for several days the semen's good for a couple days um, and everything comes together in that magical moment um, and produces a love child that's something that, uh, you know, you've mentioned a couple of times, modern medicine. And back in the day, if you look at bird dog guys that do stuff, you hear all the time, oh, we breed at day seven or we breed at day 10 and we always get a litter. Well, Holy except cow. for the times that you don't. I could write a book on the train wrecks of that. I've seen dogs yeah. that literally 45 days after they first exactly. started bleeding before they're and you wouldn't know that without a progesterone test. And, and I've had dogs that 45 were, days, 45 yeah. days. So I probably shouldn't have had a couple dogs running around the airing yard. <laughs> no, 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 no. Your, your dog's Dawn bleeding. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Dawn. Yeah. Yeah. This, we're saying this is a dog a, that bled for 45 days before she was, she started day one, right? The traditional, you know, mm-hmm. se- I get you seven now. days, seven days, seven yeah, days, yeah, right? Yeah. A week coming in, a week in, and a week going out. That was kind of the old That's rule. a pretty typical yep. dog, pretty three typical. weeks. Yeah. I've also seen dogs that the very first day they bled, like 
very, very observant owners. We bred the dogs that day on surgicals. It was the last day to breed those dogs. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, a lot of times it ends up being called pooling and they are in heat. It's silent heats. So you've probably heard that term before. And they just don't show any real outward signs, even though they're actually gotcha. rolling up through prime time. So, yeah, I would, I would, and this is, this is my belief, I guess, and everybody have a different opinion. I would not breed a dog without using progesterones ever again. For what I have seen in all breeds and all dogs, the time period it takes to get dogs to where they're, because I think what you end up missing out on is a good litter size. You know, when you say, well, hey, I bred today and I ended up with three puppies or six puppies. And do people get it right throwing dogs in together? Sure. I mean, I'm not arguing that and that happens. But I think if we're doing, especially when we start talking about trying to breed the best of the best dogs, you know, and I'm trying to get fresh cooled semen out of Oregon to you here, I got to have this specific day because I got a day and a half worth of travel time. Yeah. So I'm going to play devil's advocate. And I used to have a boss that said the devil doesn't need an advocate. So stop playing devil's advocate. That's why you work for yourself now. That's true. He can suck it. (laughs) (laughs) But what I don't understand is the old breeders, the people that are 60, 70 years old right now Mm -hmm. that have been doing it for 40 years. Mm -hmm. And they are, the dogs tell us when they're ready. So they may have their male and their female. And, you know. There's a lot of truth to that, though. Yeah. There's a lot of truth. Nature doesn't get it wrong. A a male dog that's experienced. Peter, I get it wrong all the time, buddy. Yeah. Yes, all. (laughs) (laughs) Go on. on. Sorry, go on. (laughs) An experienced male. An experienced male knows what he's doing, right? So he, and some of them are just hornballs and they're ready to go right off the bat. But for the most part, you find some males and they're like, eh, she's well, not and it's going to be the female yeah, a lot of times. The, recept- yeah, she may be the female is the receptive. Yeah. 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 She may be snappy today. Tomorrow she's like, ooh, come on here, baby. Standing. Boy. Yeah. Come on, baby. And, and you'll bring that sugar over here. You may get 47 <laughs> comments on your Instagram DM tonight before this gets done of how dumb I am. I mean, I don't know. Uh-uh. But but no. I, think, I think there's a lot of people that get really lucky at it. Um, and I'm not talking about the old timers because dogs were bred for hundreds of years before we ever started doing this. But I think as you talk about it, as we have dogs that we've manipulated stuff and tried to get different breedings done and tried to do things without selecting for dogs that were reproductively good animals, that some of those things have increased and some of those problems. Have it increased. gets, it gets hard to make those decisions though. You know, you just put two, three years into a dog and you go, man, yeah. all these things are so good. I just want let's this to work sp- out. Let's take her and spay her now and sell her to a pet home because yeah. her a hunting only home and not every breeder. It's a hard decision when you've got fifteen or $20,000 tied up in a dog and then you don't have the ability to recoup some of that money or, or, only- even, or even not even take that in it or you know, genetics that you're in love with that you want to continue to. Yeah. The only thing that's not there is the reproductive side. You know, it's not like it's an aggression issue or it's like this dog's awesome. She just isn't fertile. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to dive down that rabbit hole a little bit deeper, but I think we covered most of those bases. So that'll be that. I like rabbit hunting. We could dive into that rabbit hole. (laughs) I've never rabbit hunted with like with dogs before. Me neither. Really? Yeah. You're going to be a beagle man here. And now we're going to talk about that for a good three minutes. That's good. I've done it once, so I can't explain (laughs) that I'm an expert, but it was an old timer. I used to work with his wife. She knew I loved to hunt and she's like, oh, my husband's got rabbits and they lived local. Rabbit dogs. Yeah. What did I say? My husband's got rabbits. (laughs) Just like my my worm's got an apple. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, My worm's got an apple in it. Right. So. He picks me up and we go down to the state land here and we kick two dogs loose and they looked old as dirt. <laughs> they did. All, God bless them. I'm sure they're dead now because this was 10 years ago. They looked I hope like, so. <laughs> they looked, For the dog's sake. They looked old. And he kicked them loose and I bet they were in the woods for a minute. <laughs> hey, on a on a still like with the coonhound aspect of things on that still night where it's just almost eerie and you hear that first light. Burr, and it echoes through the woods. That's cool. It's just, it, it it's was cool. really cool. And we were in a real thick thicket. I wonder how it got that name, but a real thick little chunk hedgerows. It was a thick, wide hedgerow, brambles, and just nastiness that you didn't want to go in. But we kind of weaseled our way in. He's like, You stand here. This, you know, they're going to go out here and they're going to loop back. 
When they loop back, there's going to be a rabbit in front of them. So when you hear them getting louder and louder and louder, be ready. If they're right, if you see the dog, you miss the rabbit. It ran past you. Okay. So they, they're, and they're going nuts. And it's like, you're sitting there like shaking and it's snowy, little, little snow on the ground, cold day. And I'm, I'm shaking, not from the cold, but from like excitement, excitement, Generally, yeah. getting buck fever over a rabbit. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's like, he, just like he said it, you're going to hear them and they're going to make a turn and they're going to come a little bit closer and a little bit closer and a little bit closer and a little bit closer. And sure enough, here comes Mr. Cottontail. Boom. Hopping down the bunny trail. Boom. I let it eat. <laughs> yeah. Missed him. <laughs> Total buck Taking it to the plug. You were shooting a shotgun, weren't you? Yeah, probably. I don't remember. I missed strong miss, hard miss. And and about 15, 20 seconds later, this the barking got closer and here they come and they kept chasing that rabbit. And you know, he comes up, he's like, Did you get him? I go, nah. 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 I now go. He ducked. As soon as I shot, he ducked. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it really, we had so much fun and we hit up a couple other little patch, you know, patches of woods and, and had them running and yeah, it's something you got to do. When I was a teenager, I had a squirrel dog. Oh yeah. That's what I was, I was saying. That was cool. What was it? A, a mountain cur? A mountain cur? Yeah. That was cool. I, I went three days a week when I was a teenager. That was fun. What do really? they look like? They're all variations, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. She was a little, the one I had was a little, a little fawn and a little bobtail little thing. Now the mountain cur, like are they small? No, forty pounds maybe. Okay, thirty-five pounds. Small. This one, a mountain cur, original mountain cur, the OG. <laughs> and I see. I've heard of like uh, feist. 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 They're small. And feist look like a you've rat seen terrier cross looking thing. Uh, well, and some of them colored like uh, like Visha. They got like a red dog, yep. orange color. Yep, yep, yep. Those are the ones that I'd seen. The Mullins feist is the guy that had them, and it was like yep. a specific strain of feist. They were all orange. They look yeah, like I hunted with some of those before. They're really cool. Probably like the best. 20 pounds. That was probably beachless. the best day of hunting I ever had because I hunted with a guy that had one. Um, and that dog tree, she was in heat, um, didn't like people. <laughs> there was nine of us. She was the only dog on the ground, and she treed 13 squirrels that day. It was crazy. She was awesome. Good. When you shot them, did she catch them out of the air? No. No. She that was, fetch them up and bring them to you, though? Uh, usually. They, they kind of want to. They're. Well, at least my dog. So you've they tie seen, them off. You've seen my uh, training ability. So okay. I trained a dog when I was sixteen to hunt squirrels. It just meant you just walked behind the dog and let it find squirrels. Yeah, and the natural ability kicked in, which is way better than my any level of ability I had. So, uh, but yeah, usually just tie them to the tree and shoot the squirrel, and then you get the squirrel. That's awesome. Yeah, That's my grandmother cool liked deal. squirrels. So I'd, I was not a big squirrel fan, but my grandmother sure liked them. That's really cool. So, anyways, you're a true blue dog guy, man. I am. Dog does it. I want to see it. What's your ultimate goal out of a finished dog? Finished Labrador, mm. let's put it that way. So I think it's, no, I think a finished dog is anything. I'm, I think with everybody these days, busy, right? Everybody's busy with everything. Um, and so when I, um, when I go hunting, I want to be able to hunt with the best. I want to be able to get out of my truck and go know that I'm going to hunt with something that's going to do what I want it to do pretty flawlessly and be able to enjoy that. Cause that's what I enjoy. Right. So to go hunt with a dog that's six months old that needs to, especially maybe not in the lab world so much, but especially like behind a pointer or something is it's hard for me to go hunt behind a bunch of pointer puppies in Iowa, in Iowa, when where, there's Mike no, where, there's you no, where there's no birds <laughs> yelling at puppies across the field that happened to Ethan. Uh, um, I just don't enjoy, I don't enjoy that. So to me to hunt, it's same with cow dog, right? I want to get out and I don't want my dog to go chase my calves because I'm doing something very specific for a very short period of time. And so I need that dog to perform as close to flawlessly as he can. And I'll do my best to guide them. That's not always easy for me. What's your biggest downfall as a handler? Patience. Patience. Um, that's everybody's biggest downfall, but that's mm-hmm. a really good question. Actually. Staying, staying with it. Right. So I think a finished dog from you stating this, but like shooters, a great example, you know, he's super steady by the beginning of the season. And in the season, he's just picking up stuff. <laughs> he's okay. like, you shot. Here I'm going. Okay. You know? And so, and I, I hunt a lot of times six to 10 feet away from my dog, right? Because maybe that's a good blind place or, you know, or I'm standing out in the water and the dog's 10 feet behind me so they can get out of the water, you know? Um, so a lot of times I'll do that. So 
that that sometimes is probably my biggest problem is just um and I think that may be everybody that's just hunting sometimes it gets hard to reinforce some of those things. You let things slide. You get caught up in the hunting. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because the number one thing that we all make mistakes on. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to err on the side that I don't do that. I think I have No, you such- really don't. I can attest to that. You you definitely put your gun down and we're working the dog. Yeah. Because you, but I also think maybe Ethan, you could speak to this too, like, it's such a pet peeve for you and you put so much time and energy into it that when we finally get to this like culmination of we're all out having a good time mm-hmm. and it's not performing at the level that you expect it to for some reason, maybe they're having a bad day or whatever. It's like, okay, no, we've worked on this and we were going to continue working on it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't let breaking happen. I don't let whining happen. I don't let, I don't let any bad habits form. Yeah, like, I don't, I don't, I don't all of a sudden let my dog cheat the bank or, Unless we're, I would say the only time I'll let a dog cheat the bank is when we're hunting a river and for their safety, I let them get out early or I'll even say, Hey, tweet, you can get out early. That way it's my decision and not theirs. And, and it's really, it's nitpicky and maybe I'm a jerk for doing it, but I hold to Kevin's point, I hold such a high standard nine, 10 months out of the year that I want to see good dog work. I want to enjoy the dog to its full capabilities. Yeah, yeah so sense. I don't let them slip through the season. So let's say you came hunting with me. You're hunting with a party of seven people in a field, and we shoot a big old flock of mallards, and we drop 20 of them. My so. dog's steady during it, and and she'll pick up as many as she can, and I might go help her. Gotcha. That's what I would do. I wouldn't let them just run amok and pick one up, drop it, go grab another one. No, that's flopping and yeah. flipping. And <clears throat> Ethan, what would you do? I mean, how? I, Send Peter. Yep. I'd be like, Peter, Peter back. <laughs> nice. <Jinx. laughs> uh, but really, I mean, I, you know, you, you have the same background. You And I know that you have a rigorous program and you hold dogs to a high level of integrity and, and work ethic. How would yeah. you do it? Yeah, 100%. And I mean, for us, it's not in the blind as much or um, a lot of times those end up being kind of my dog can do it and I'll maintain some steadiness for quite a while. And then I might get caught up in a big group that comes in and they're getting pumped up and kind of happens to everybody. But from an upland standpoint, uh, no, they do everything right. They get away with nothing. And steady wing shot and fall you release. Uh, I don't hunt pheasants, steady wing shot and fall. They break at wing and that's because of the running and crippledness of the beast. Now, quail when we go down they're a different breed they hold better we're usually when i i pretty much hunt quail with i hunt quail with myself and i hunt with one other guy primarily and when i go down to run with him i hold the dogs to that level because we take one bird out of a cubby you know or we take two birds out of a cubby and it's you know it's a finished polished game but pheasants are you know, ditch chickens for a reason and you got to stay on top of them or you'll lose too many. Um, I think a good example of that, you know, like last year we went and hunted grouse in Montana mm -hmm. um, and you just end up, you know, we hunted what we dropped, what, five or six, all master hunter. No, but dog wise, all master hunter. I want to tell my story. (laughs) Of course you did. I I shot four birds out of a covey. You know, we, we hunted. I hope the limit is less than, or more than four. four. I it's shot two. my limit out it's of two. one it's cover. Weird. Yeah, no it's, it's two. It's really weird. No, yeah. I, I tripled, boom, 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 on their eyes. And then dog took off to go get one of them. And on the way back, one scraggler takes off this way. And I'd started reloading, knocked it down. Yeah, but I think so we, it equally, wasn't four on the rise, we equally enjoy to go out and hunt, you know, just drop five dogs well, at all, once. master hunters, you know, that have all titled and, you know, are steady dogs. I mean, that I think is equally as a fun for me too. And I know for you as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I, I just, I, for whatever reason this season, and we've talked about on previous podcasts, so I won't beat a dead horse, but previous seasons, you know, we get a lot of young dogs in and we train a lot of young dogs. And so this is our first hunting season, or maybe it's a dog who isn't a new newbie, but they've hunted in the past and were able to break. Sure. And now they came to me and it's like, hey, they're already trained, but they broke last year. Now I don't want them to break. It's hard. And then they go goose hunting. And guess what? They break. And it's so hard as the trainer to 
A, I can't recreate it in training. I can't. It's I can impossible. S- I can sit in the little blind or pop, you know, whatever. I can call on a duck call or a goose call for five minutes and then let them let it eat and 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 they'll sit still. It's not as exciting as from a quarter mile away watching thirty Canada geese come in and having your buddies go let them land, let them land, and have twenty geese land while another group works and. Yeah. And that dog sit trying to sit there. Well, they can feel the intensity and the you know your heart beating. You're excited. They're excited, and yeah. they feed off that. There's well, not many dogs that can t- contain themselves during it. And I tell you, you know, I've had, I've been fortunate to hunt a bunch of different places with some guides that did awesome, and some that didn't. Man, you know, that were just. And I, I can remember one experience. This guy had a dog that like the dog would just randomly run up and run through. Like the guide sat behind the gunners. And the dog would run through the gunners. So, A, he's right there at the end of the barrel. And twice, he hit people. So, the dog's just plowing with loaded guns or, you know, guns off safety. And it's like, uh, this is a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah. And then I think, I I can't verify this, but I think one of those guys' dogs got killed doing that. I mean, it was just one of those freak out. You know, it just... That sucks. Man. Yeah, can you imagine that's, your dog no, can't. picked up birds to. for you for three seasons? Gets it sucks. So, or being the guy that accidentally does it. Yeah, you know that, there there I mean, are some people that are careless and I, would probably still feel terrible. And it'd be I don't terrible. know, man. I I remember but, I remember thinking like, man, this this happens. This is on him. <laughs> the handler. Yeah, it was oh, that careless. A thousand percent. Yeah, it's but, like. Uh, but imagine. No, hold on. Let me take a second. That goes back to what I said when we talked about you know, holding my dogs to a standard, it is my responsibility. Mm-hmm. I'm the dog man. Yeah. Ethan's yep. the dog man. You're the dog man, Peter. We are the responsibility of, of bringing the dog to the hunt. It is our responsibility to manage that dog. So yep. we're not yelling at him the whole time. We're not having a dog that breaks. We're not having a dog that switches birds. We're not having a pain in the butt in the blind for our buddies or even just we're hunting alone. It is our responsibility to manage that dog to its full capability and have fun doing it. But if you're the guy bringing a dog, that's your responsibility. And I think so many folks get caught up pulling the trigger that they forgot that they're the dog guy or gal. Yeah. And I can say this from experience. I've walked a dog to the truck. Yeah. That was a miserable dog to hunt with and said, I'm taking her back to the truck because this is not worth it for me, the dog or anybody else here. Yeah, and I think it, it takes some humbleness to know that Memphis, Master Hunter, Master National, Captain and I went and hunted the Chesapeake, and she broke right in front of the gun barrels, hauling butt. And, it was terrifying. Oh, it was bad. And I lost my patience, and I whooped up, and it was really, really not fair to anybody to be a part of that. Her, me, and our party, I apologized. I staked her down, and the rest of that hunt, she was on a lead. And that's a Master Hunter unbelievable dog best dog i've ever owned but from put my pride aside i'm the dog man it's my responsibility to make everybody else's hunt fun and keep my dog safe so okay yeah you know she master hunter and steady and everything else well guess what that one break that was it could have been worse unless you had to bring her home that's right i'd rather clip her up important part it's your responsibility to bring her home eat some humble pie and clip her up yeah you know we just talked about going to north dakota and we're gonna be shooting ducks out of ground blinds i don't even care i'm just gonna clip her i'm not even gonna wait for a break i'm just gonna clip her and keep well even because your training situation right i think you do a really good job of incorporating calling and you know poppers and things like that to try to the you know blinds and decoys to try to get all that exposure but like i said there's nothing to to replicate seven guys going take them you know I mean, bow, 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 yeah. bow, bow. 21 gun salute going off right That's there right. The Civil and, War. yep so yep no, I agree with you. You can't you can't recreate it no matter what we do. You know, today wasn't the day and even probably tomorrow won't be the day, but me and you will do some stuff with the finished dogs where like knowing that you're going to sit a dog six, eight feet away mm-hmm. and hunt over here, we're going to do that tomorrow. And I'm going to show you what these dogs are capable of. Cool. But I can promise you there's going to be some that are not cool with it. Yeah. They want to be next to you. They want to be underneath you and next to you at on your left side. Like today, I purposefully ran them out of an A-frame on my right side, looking out of a hole on the right side because everything else they've been doing is on the left. And every single dog struggled, struggled on the first bird. And then after that, they were fine. Yeah. But 
you got to work them in all these different scenarios and situations. And I may not be the lucky guy that can be on the left side where my dog's on my left side, right. but it always haunts. You got to make adjustments in your training to teach and, and all that jazz. All right. Let's talk about where you guys are going this season. What are some upcoming hunts that are going to be really fun and exciting? It's going to be a good season for me. I don't know about you. Come yeah. on. Where are you going? Uh, to start with, next week, Cat uh, and Aiden, our little boy, and I are going to Montana. What? Peter, you're invited if you can get work off. But, okay. Ish. Uh, ish. Work-ish off. Uh, but we're going to Montana first. We're going to spend uh, five, six days hitting public ground. He's in a little carrying pack on my back. He wears little earmuffs, and we're going uh, grouse hunting. You ever done the grouse hunting deal? No, not out there. Hands down, the coolest of the upland hunting I've done, the coolest upland hunting I've ever done. What kind of grouse? Sharp tail. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are they in North Dakota too? Yeah. There are some in North, Western North Dakota. Yeah. I don't know where we're going. Just the, the you know, it's September, so it's like kind of weather like you guys have here. You know, it's kind of cool. And you're walking. I mean, you'll walk 15 miles a day. I mean, you're, you're up and down and up and down. But, man, the scenery is awesome. And just the... You'll knock those birds a little bit over, and then you just go hit another, you know, kind of come at them a different angle into the wind. And it's just, it's fun. You can see everything. It's big, wide open. Really cool. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So, family trip. Yeah. It'll cool. be little boy's first trip. I mean, he's just uh, coming up on two. So, cool. Uh, that boy's going to kill some birds in his life. Ain't he? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's going to be a chucker yeah. and pigeon shooter. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I got that, and then I guess Ethan starts October. He'll guide. Yeah, South get Dakota back from that. Um, we'll be. I'll be in South Dakota, and you're going to join me opening weekend. Yeah, yep. you'll, you'll be there opening weekend, and then, uh, then I come home first part of November, and then I'll go November. I've got a group of guys that we typically go to Western Nebraska, Eastern Wyoming, and hunt goose every year. Geese, not just one goose. Geese. Canada. Canada. Gooses. Nice. And, and uh, a little bit of ducks over there. There's guys that we've been going with for several years out there that do a heck of a job. Um, and just awesome ground blinds um, or pits that you just are. It's the easy. I mean, like the first time we went, we were like shooting birds at like 10 yards. It was ridiculous. I mean, it's, so cool. it's awesome. And so we'll go, I'll go there um, with that group of guys on our way up. We'll go do a day of Sand Hill Cranes. Um, in the Panhandle, Texas, and then we'll go back there in January, um, and hunt there in January, um, and then December, South Dakota. I mean, yeah, South Dakota again. Yeah, in between there, I'll probably hunt. Uh, when I get back, Kansas opens up for pheasant and quail, so I've got some places to bebop around in the state, and then we do. We've got a little uh, friend hunt up in South Dakota again where I guide at and we're hoping you're going to join us on that. I hope so too. Okay. And then it. say again, said it's worth it. Yeah, it's worth it. It's a fun time. And then I'll duck on a lot in Texas. I mean, that's just kind of a teal pintail gadwall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you I have you a said? pretty cool little pond. That's pretty close to me that I can, that I'll hunt probably four or five days a week. Most weeks. Man. Yeah. You really did say DVM ish. Yeah. I mean, when do no, you No, it's, it's really easy. I can like be at work by nine. It's like, it's like right by my clinic. And I can be you. at work at nine and just leave the decoys out. And Good for you. Well, clean, that's exciting. Kill some ducks, clean the birds. And January is when I go to Texas, start quail hunting. Yeah. And then that, I mean, end of January is pretty much what most stuff ends. So yeah. to get back into the work mode. Mm hmm. Ish. 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 Good deal, gentlemen. Well, hey, everybody, just to repeat, we had Ethan from Standing Stone Kennels. He's our buddy. You can check him out on Instagram and YouTube. He's a sensation on there. He's got our little buddy. We didn't even really talk about Clutch, but Uh, we'll do it again. We'll do it again another time. Um, So check out a lone duck pup that Ethan and Kat bought named Clutch. He's taking that puppy through his program. So you can follow them on YouTube and Instagram for that. And Mr. Peter from Texas. Jacksboro, Texas. What is it? Jacksboro, Texas. Jacksboro. And your clinic is called? Live Oak. 
veterinary clinic. My man. Yep. And if you want to try and get an 8 a.m. during duck season appointment, you can't. You cannot. <laughs> <laughs> try them at 930, baby. Or, or during any season. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you for your expertise. You bet. Thanks for I having us on. I enjoyed talking about the reproduction. Cool. That, that was something that I don't have a ton of experience in. So it was a really neat learning experience. So thank you. Cool. I hope hope our listeners enjoyed that. Check them out. Do you guys have Facebook, Instagram, or, any, or website? Yeah, not really. That's all right. That you don't need it. Yeah, yeah. Yellow pages. Yellow page. I don't have that either. <laughs> we <laughs> do. I mean, we, we do. But nobody has yellow pages. No, it's anymore. a scam. It's a scam these days. That's right. So. Well, if you're looking looking uh, in that area for a veterinarian, check him out. He'll stick his arm up your cow. Any day of the week. Yep. And uh, guys, thank you for tuning in. Please click subscribe. Give us the old five-star rating. If you want to do any less than that, go find somebody else's podcast to click on. So, all right, everybody. Thank you for tuning into another episode. Catch you on the flip side. Hey, if you haven't done it already, jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Couchers. If you enjoy the show and want to support the show, if this show has helped you and your dog grow together, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer and you get more one-on-one from me. You get content that doesn't hit Instagram or YouTube and it enters you to win a free hunt with me and Kevin in Missouri this duck season. So jump on, links in the description. We'd be happy to have you and love to help you. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.